year is it? 2019. Praise God for another year he's allowed us to see. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 15. ask you to put a marker as well. We'll do the second Kings first, and then we will jump over to Hosea chapter 1. Now, you know your books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Solomon, Hosea, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Hosea, there we go. Hosea, that's where Hosea is. Thanks for helping me out. I didn't study for that. I didn't plan to do that, but you didn't either. So turn over to Hosea 1. But first we'll start in 2 Kings chapter 15. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's word. 2 Kings, chapter 15, 1 through 7. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Azariah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Hosea 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, also called Azariah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. God give us our challenge and understanding through his word today. Bless our hearts as we read it and apply the truths from his word in our lives. If you remain standing with me, we'll pause for a word of prayer. We'll lead you in prayer and then we'll have a song by our choir and then the preaching of God's word for today. Father, we thank you for allowing us to see this day 
first Sunday of another year, first Sunday of this new year. We're thankful, Lord, that you have provided for us, you have blessed us, you've opened our eyes this morning and allowed us to see, even in sorrow as we experience, or some of us experience here, we recognize that it is you who give life, and yes, it is you who takes life. So we pray for those who, especially who are in mourning now, we pray for Jonathan and Keisha and their family, the loss of his sister. We pray, Lord, that you would open a door to their hearts and through their hearts, minister to them, Lord, in this time. Comfort their hearts. Encourage them and allow them to be a comfort and encouragement to the family. We know, Lord, your comfort comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, and we just pray that you would use their lives to speak life into other family members that they might see and hear and trust in Christ. I pray for, Lord, also our grace partner, pastor, Pastor Gerald Schrock, his wife, Shelly, in the loss of her brother just last night. Sudden death, unexpected, and a relatively young man, 58 years old, we pray for their comfort as well, Lord, for their ministering to the family there. Your grace will be upon them, your strength and encouragement upon them as well, your hope to rest with them, that they might be able to speak and minister to the family as well. We pray for those who are living and yet suffering different challenges. We pray for Duane this morning, that you would be by his side, that you would continue to watch over and bless him pray for my dad that you will continue to watch over, bless, and strengthen him as well. And we pray for others that we have mentioned throughout this week, especially in our prayer um, email and letter, Lord, that you would just allow us to minister to others. And I pray that uh, you will help us as we do that, strengthen us, and give us wisdom to speak and to give a comfort and a help to others. Now we pray for this year, Lord, that you would help us in this church to apply your truths, to live the gospel out, to apply the gospel in our own lives, to preach the gospel and live the gospel before others. We would pray, Lord, that the gospel would impact our lives and the lives of those who witness us as well. You would use us and minister through us so that others might know the Lord Jesus Christ, come to trust in him and live for him. We pray that you would build and add to this church as you see fit. Bring glory to yourself in the process. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. today we start a new series in the book of Hosea. Hosea will be the start. We'll start that today. 
14 chapters, so it's not a long book. One of the, called the Minor Prophets of the Old Testament. There's four major prophets and 12 minor prophets. They were just kind of grouped that way because, well, mainly because of the length of the books. So we're going to just take a look a little bit about our Old Testament history because it's going to help us understand um, more of this book. Now, I've never preached through Hosea, so you'll be um, helping me along as we go through this. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do it, <clears throat> but we're going to go through it. God's word is, is there for us, and he... He has a message there for us that he wants us to, to have. You might be straining to see some of this, and, and, and that's all right. I'll give you a test on it later. But that basically outlines the, the history of the Old Testament. Old Testament is an important part of our Bible, and we ought not to ignore it. Uh, this being the start of a new year, I would imagine many of you are starting to read through the Bible. And so you, you are, if, there's a lot of different um, ways to do that, but if you take the traditional way, you're starting in Genesis. Uh, Genesis actually holds a huge part of the history time frame of the Old Testament history. And so in Genesis, what you see is, uh, and I've chosen to, <coughs> to kind of talk about the history based on characters or people. Uh, first main character there is Adam, and we see Noah in chapter 6 of Genesis, getting into chapter 11 and 12 of Genesis. You get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so these are... Uh, the family line that, that God is drawing our attention to and he's beginning to deal with in a special way to form this nation of Israel. So Joseph um, is one uh, in the end of Genesis. And then we get into Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they, the main character there is Moses bit of, of Joshua. Of course, in the book of Joshua, we see the leadership of Joshua, and that's a unique part of Israel's history. We see the nation is now formed. God has brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's delivered them, and he's bringing them in, into the promised land, the land of Israel now. And Joshua is the one who brings them into that land. Once they get into that land, after a period of time, after Joshua's death, there's a period of 12 judges that rule over Israel. And the, uh, at the end of that period of judges, and of course that's in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, at the end of that period, uh, the prophet, who's, who's kind of a, a prophet and a priest and a bit of a judge himself, Samuel, we see some very interesting characters. Samuel, then the first king of Israel is, is Saul, and then the greatest king of Israel, David, and then his son reigns after him, Solomon, 
And after Solomon's reign, we have what is called a split or divided kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And they are divided and, and oftentimes even at war with one another. And through this divided kingdom, we have the kings of both of these divided kingdoms. So we have kings of Israel and kings of Judah. There are 19 kings of Judah and 20 kings of Israel that rule during this time period. And during this time period, one thing you can note is that it is the kings of Judah that follow the line of David. And that's where we have mostly good kings, kings that obey the Lord. It's the kings of Israel or the northern kingdom that do not follow the line of David. And that's where we have many of our kings who were disobedient, who were evil, who strayed from the Lord. In fact, all the, the kings in the, in the northern kingdom can be uh, uh, characterized that way. We have a divided kingdom in the year of 722 B.C. is when, uh, by God's judgment, the northern kingdom was uh, defeated, destroyed, and came virtually to an end. Of, call it the fall of Israel or the fall of Samaria. That's where the northern kingdom was headquartered. And the southern kingdom went on for a while after that, but then in 587, 586 B.C., um, the southern kingdom uh, 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 the, the kingdom of Babylon took over, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon took over Israel and took them out of the land and they were exiled into Babylonia. <laughs> and so what you see is all of the Old Testament time is happening somewhere in this time frame. All the Old Testament books describe something here. In fact, we've looked at most of the books. So I've talked about four major prophets. Um, they are either speaking to the nation of Israel or to the, 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 the kingdom of Judah and warning them of falling away from the Lord and God's judgment. Or they are, uh, uh, and so prophets are ministering during this time of the uh, divided kingdom and during this time of the kings. Uh, and so there, that is where all of the, uh, the books of the Bible fit in in the Old Testament. Today, we're going to be looking at Hosea, and so we need to see where he fits in into this period. So, if this works, you won't be able to read that. You don't have to read it but I'm going to describe it for you. I mentioned kings of Judah. There are 19 kings of Judah. And so in the left column is listed each one of those kings. Um, the column next to that lists the year that they reign, the total years that they reign is next to that. And the uh, fourth column is the ascension year. Now what that does, and this will help you in reading through the Bible, when you read through uh, 1st and 2nd Kings or, or through some of the prophets, <coughs> it will say that this king reigned in the seventh year of this king. 
What you're going to have is the kings of Judah are always described in reference to the kings of Israel, and the kings of Israel always described in reference to the kings of Judah. I'll give you an example of that in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Notice those are kings of Judah that reign. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And so oftentimes when kings will take on their rule, they will, it, you will be told what year it was that the other king in the other nation was ruling when this king took control of his rule. And so also on the last column there is the biblical reference that talks about the life and the reign of that king. Now the reason why I put this on here, even though you can't read it, if you have a study Bible, and you should have a Bible, a study Bible. What is a study Bible? A study Bible is a Bible that's going to give you some notes and details, kind of describe some things. Now, actually, my uh, pulpit Bible is not a study Bible because I don't want all the notes getting in my way. I just want clearly <laughs> the word written in, in, in big text so I can read it clearly. But when I sit at my desk and, and, and begin to read or sit at home, uh, I have a study Bible. If you look in 1 Kings or 2 Kings, you're going to find a list like this that will help you uh, kind of navigate through the different kings as they uh, are served. And, and so you have a, a list like this. And I have a, another one that looks very much like it. Oops, that's not it. There it is, kings of Judah. First one with kings of Israel, right? Kings of Israel, and then the kings of Judah. So um, listed in the very same way. So in your study Bible, you might look for that this week as you read uh, through Hosea. As you take a look at some of those things, you'll see a, a, a list of kings there listed for you so you can kind of understand um, what time frame that uh, they were dealing with. <coughs> Looking at the kings of Judah, we just read in Hosea 1, and there is a list of kings that tell us when Hosea ministered, or when, when, he, when, when he served the Lord as a prophet. I'll read that again, Hosea 1.1. 1, 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Uzziah is also... Um, Azariah, both of those names are used interchangeably for him, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And so this gives us a time frame of when Hosea was prophesying when he was ministering and, and the things that happened that he wrote about it gives us that time frame of when these kings served so we'll be looking at some of the kings and some of their activities just like we read this morning in second kings 15 we saw 
uh, some of that period uh, with some of these kings. I actually, actually want to preach today and not just give you some information. Because God's word is not just a lecture in history. In fact, there's a reason for much of history being brought about Yes, I can turn it off, can I? There is a reason for God rehearsing history in his word for us. Oftentimes, we're not very excited about history, especially history we're not familiar with. And it's just a bunch of names and a bunch of places and a bunch of dates that don't mean a whole lot to us. But one of the things that we need to understand, and I want to read Hosea 1, 1 again. There's three points that I want us to get from this. The first is, read it, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. First point here is that God is sovereign over history. God is sovereign over history. It means that not only does God use history to bring about his purpose and his will, but that he controls history to bring about his purpose and his will. God is sovereign over all of history. And so God is is working through this history to bring about his purpose for all of history. And that impacts us because he's working in history to bring about glory to himself, even in our present history right now. Sovereign means that it's in his hands. He controls it and he uses it as he pleases. When I say that God is sovereign in history, the reason why that ought to bring joy to us is because we're here in 2019, in January 6th, right? We're in 2019, but we ought not to feel like we're lost. We ought not to feel like, where is God? And I know how he acted back in the days. We've talked about the Old Testament days of before Christ. We talked about the days of, of Christ coming to earth and living and walking on earth. And we somehow have a sense when we read our Bibles that God is very active then, but sometimes we, we get the sense that maybe he's not as active now. If I were to put a list of 44 presidents of the United States up there, will we get the sense that God is active in each one of those ages that they lived in and that this country of the United States of America is very much on, on, on God's mind as well as any other country anywhere else in the world that he is sovereign over the history of Tibet as well as he is sovereign over the history of Brazil, as well as he is sovereign over the history of this country, of this state, and of this city. In other words, God is very much involved 
with the election that happened in November of last year. God is very much involved in what's happening on your neighborhood. God is very much involved with the politics on your job that may cause you to lose a job or keep a job. God is very much involved and in control of all of that. So when we say that God is sovereign over history, it's not just biblical times that he's sovereign over. It is all time belongs to him and he's in control. That's a good thing when you know the Lord. <coughs> That's an encouraging thing when, when you are walking in his way, his path. God is using everything. The other thing that encouraged me about this is that as we look through the book of Hosea and the prophecy that he gives, we, we come to understand that there was a lot going on then. And in fact, the book of Hosea talks about the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom primarily, but the northern and the southern kingdom, how unfaithful they were. Now, when I showed you, you know, that boring slide of the history of the Old Testament, you know, the kind of you barely looked at, it showed all those things going on, <coughs> and it showed the kingdom split into the northern kingdom, and, and, and you kind of wonder, well, what does that all, all, all mean to, to, to me today, and why should I be concerned about that? This is it. The Hosea prophesied and ministered to a nation that was to belong to the Lord, but lived wickedly. And they had abandoned the Lord. One of the main things you see in, in Hosea is vivid pictures of unfaithfulness. Vivid pictures of unfaithfulness. People who should know who God is and know what he has done and know it personally, but now they have abandoned him and, and they have very little to do with him. In fact, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's a picture, not of people, when we think of people who have abandoned God, we think of people who, who you know, they, they don't go to church, they don't worship, they don't know anything about the Bible and all they do is they live their life. But actually it's a picture of this, people, who actually go to church, but they don't serve God at all. Israel was full of people who worshipped, but didn't worship God. They had combined with their worship a, an idolatry that recognized all these other deities and respected them and then claimed to recognize God and respect him too. They wanted to have it both ways. In the midst of this nation that was so wicked that God destroyed them, and yes, they were Israel, but God destroyed them, you would think, well, God, how are you going to accomplish your plan if you destroyed the people who you claim? How are you going to bring about your purpose? This is where God's sovereignty over, it, over history just, it just, it informs us and it comforts us. God is showing that even along the mess of the history of mankind, God is able to bring about his purpose. And so when I say God is sovereign over history, you know, you may not have gotten the person you voted for, for governor or for president, 
or for any other thing. The person who's your boss may not, may not be the one you wanted to be your boss. But God is still in control and bringing exactly what he desires. When we see the mess of mankind, God is not wringing his hands and saying, I, it's a mess, I can't do nothing with it. He's saying, it's not too hard for me. I'm doing exactly as I please. And man's sinfulness does not hinder my ability to work and produce what I choose to produce. And that's encouragement. See, because when you live in, 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 in Hosea's time, you're looking at a messed up world. And he must be thinking, Lord, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to do this? I think we relate to that because we live in a messed up world. <coughs> Many of us had dreams that we would be the ones that God would partner with and use to straighten out this messed up world. And the more we live, we see how much a mess it really is is. And we must be asking what Hosea must have asked is, Lord, what are you going to do with this? So I say God is sovereign over history. It, it gives us that encouragement that no matter how messed up things are, you know, your life may be like that. Your family might be like that. You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. My family ain't like yours, yeah, how you think mine is. And they, they, it, it's just a mess. And you question, how can God work in that? If God can work in, in Old Testament history, in the messed up places, in the messed up circumstances that he did there, then he assures us he is working today and bringing about just what he desires to bring about. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 17. Actually, we read that on Wednesday, but I want to look at it again because it really highlights the sovereignty of God in history. Acts 17, verse 24. <coughs> Paul was preaching to people who didn't know God, and to some people who didn't even respect God. But he says this, The God who made the world, I'm in Acts 17, verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, Every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Do you realize what he's saying? He says, God made from one man, Adam, everybody that exists today, and he determined their allotted dwelling place. He says, I'm going to make China for these folks over here. I'm going to build Russia and all these nations over here uh, for, for, for these folks. I'm going to build this over here, and I'm going to have these folks, and I'm going to mingle these folks here. I'm going to have a war between these folks over here, and I'm going to mesh this all together the way that I please and for my purpose. 
Some of us watch news and can't sleep at night. Because we think, who is it, the fat guy from North Korea is going to press a button and end it all? <laughs> but see, if you understand that God is sovereign over history, you know, and it ain't going in like that. It's not. That my life is in his hands, God's hands. God is, he's the one who's allotted people and their place and their time and their power and their predicament and all that. God is in control of all that. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. <laughs> Paul is starting to preach there. He said, y'all folks who believe in all these idols, you, you know, God knows that you, you're just feeling around, trying to get the truth. You're very close to it, but so, so far away. God is so sovereign over all of history. The second point I want to make today, it comes from Hosea chapter 1. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea. In other words, God has a word to us in history. He says, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. You'll notice that God is speaking to individuals in their particular setting. He has something to say. And so while all this is going on, God begins to speak to the nation. When I say nation, I mean the people that are living in that community. And he's speaking to them through a person. Hosea is one of those persons. I want you to take a trip with me as we travel through some books in the Old Testament. We're going to start with Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. I want you to notice how God is using people <coughs> to speak to people. He has a word to speak to us in history. In Isaiah 1, 1, it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, you notice those lists of, of kings. That means that Isaiah lived about the same time, same time as Hosea. These two men of God lived and ministered in the same time period. God had a word to speak to Isaiah, to his people about what was going on. Turn now to Jeremiah 1.1. Now, I think you ought to at least be interested because many of us have named our children <laughs> after many of the Old Testament prophets. My family have a Isaiah, a couple of Jeremiah's. Jeremiah 1 1 says, The word of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth 
in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. God has a word to Jeremiah to specific people at a specific time in history. God has a word to speak to people. He's specific here. Look at verse 3. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. He's going through the history of Israel and speaking to his people at specific times. God has a word to us in history. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, turn with me there, Ezekiel 1, 1. It says this, in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, that's pretty specific, isn't it? As I was among the exiles by the Chebar Canal, the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God on the fifth day of the month. It was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chebar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. God is speaking through Ezekiel to specific people at a time about things in history. He's speaking to them. Keep on going through Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. I'm kind of going in order to make it easy. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. We see what is happening. God is sending Daniel to a specific place, to a specific people at a specific time to give them a word from God. God is speaking to us. He's speaking to his people in history and throughout history. Let's take a look at a few others. Amos. <laughs> Hosea, Joel, in Amos chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. He's getting specific, isn't he? He is speaking. God is speaking to his people in history. God has a word to us in history. After the book of Jonah, Amos, we have Jonah, Amos, Obadiah, then Jonah, Micah, I want you to turn to. Micah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So Micah is, 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 is speaking during a very a time similar or um, as Hosea is speaking as well. 
keep it in your Old Testament. After Micah, what's the next book? Nahum. And then Habakkuk. And then what's next? Zephaniah. Turn to Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Again, he's speaking to people during a period that the kings reigned and giving us the specific ones that he's speaking to. After Zephaniah, what's next? Haggai. Chapter 1, verse 1. Haggai 1, 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to jo Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is the time period that Daniel served in. And so we see Haggai brings a word from God. God has a word to his people in history. And then the last one I want you to look at is the very next book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. <coughs> Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, we heard that name before, also associated with Daniel. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Ido, saying, he is speaking. He has a word to speak to us in history. Third point I want to make to you today. The first point I made was God is sovereign in history. The second is that God is speaking to us in history. And this third point is that history is his story. History is his story. The history, the time frame of mankind is a time frame that God has established so that we could see what he is doing throughout, throughout all of time to bring about his purpose. It always amazed me as a little boy. Went to school, I went to a public school, and I was a believer early in life. And I wonder why everybody else wasn't. It seemed crazy to me. I go to school, and I, I wanted to ask them, what time is it? Because I asked you today, what day is it? What time is it? Well, it is January 6, 2019. So well, where did we get 2019 from? In fact, we call it 2019, the year of our Lord, or A.D. In other words, after Christ has arrived, and everything before that is called B.C., before Christ. Now, some people think that is a primitive way of listing time, and we need to change that. But they just, they just don't recognize reality that time revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ as it should. He is the center of all time. God meant it that way. 
Now, whether mankind recognizes and acknowledges that fully or not is beside the point. It is true whether they see it or not. Jesus Christ is center to all of history because history is all about him. We're going to understand our Old Testament. We need to understand the backdrop from which he comes, and that is the nation of Israel, what was going on. God had called them to be the people of God. They miserably failed God. They were unfaithful to God. But history is his story. It's the story of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you just a brief picture of Hosea. It's a picture of Israel in their utter unfaithfulness. Look at Hosea chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. <clears throat> Hosea 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing. Let me pause for a moment. It sounds like he's talking about 2019. <laughs> sounds like he lived where I live. On 30th and McKinley, sounds like he don't walk down the streets that I've walked down. Right through Milwaukee, right all around Milwaukee. Sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He says, verse 2, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Seems to me every time near the beginning of the year, we wonder if the murder rate is going to be less or greater than it was last year, and it doesn't take long for us to see the devastation that is so close to us. In fact, here we are in the first week of the year and already we are impacted ourselves by death. As they break all bounds in the verse 2, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns. And all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. He says this is affecting the natural uh, um, <clears throat> creation that God has made. Not just mankind, but everything else is impacted by the wickedness around us. <clears throat> it's a picture of Israel in their utter unfaithfulness. We should see ourselves. We should see ourselves. We should see the community in which we live. Not a community that doesn't know about God. You know what surprises me? I, I speak at the rescue mission all the time, at least, <clears throat> well, usually once a month or so. Speak in the community. Talk to people wherever I go. I find few individuals that don't know about God, that haven't heard about Jesus, or even don't believe that God exists. But having said that, we live, we live in a wicked 
nation, a very wicked community, that even though they know about God, they don't honor him, don't respect him, and don't serve him. Now, they go through the motions. They go through the motions. Oh, we have churches. We have plenty of churches around. We don't have a shortage of churches. <clears throat> we don't have a shortage of people who talk about love, respect, doing good, treating others right. What we have is a failure of hearts to bring it about, to live it out. We need rescuing. We need delivering. So Hosea is a picture, the book of Hosea is a picture of Israel's utter unfaithfulness. But matched up with this, and this is what makes Hosea such an intriguing book, and one of the reasons why I chose to study through it. Not only do we see utter unfaithfulness, but right up against that, we see God's awesome faithfulness. He even starts the book off that way. Look in Hosea chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 14. <coughs> he talks about unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness of Israel in some very vivid pictures of unfaithfulness, the marriage picture of unfaithfulness. He speaks of that in very plain sense. But then he says this. Now, this, this has to be shocking. This has to be surprising. When you think about, uh, you know, we kinda, we've gotten this image of God in, in, his, in his zeal and in his power and his righteousness and how he executes judgment on the wicked. But right alongside of that is God who loves his people and will not let them go. Look at this, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. He's pictured Israel as an unfaithful wife who's cheated on him. And this is what he says about her. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Now you think, uh oh, what's going to happen here? You bring her to the wilderness? Is, is he going to slay her? Is he going to beat her down? He's going to have a domestic abuse situation going on here? No, he says, and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. Well, you know what he's saying there? She don't have no attitude now. <laughs> she going to speak like it used to be on a honeymoon. As at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. Baal is, a, is, a, is, a, is an idol god that was worshipped. And so Israel had turned to Baal instead of their husband. 
you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my bell. For I will remove the names of the bells from her mouth. They shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. Now put that in the context of Israel's utter unfaithfulness. The message to us today is that in the mess of our lives, God is still calling us to him. And he says, you have made a mess of your life. But I haven't given up on you. And I'm calling you to myself. And I will make you what I want you to be. You will be mine. You belong to me. What a beautiful picture. In the midst of a historical mess, a political, all kind of anguish, in the, in the middle of all the nonsense that goes on, God is speaking to his people in a vivid image. And I want to ask you this as I close. What more vivid image could we get? God calls Hosea to picture, and we're going to get into this as we look at the book, to be an example, to be in a picture of himself. To be faithful to the unfaithful. To be faithful to the unfaithful. What a mighty God we serve. Yes, what a loving, glorious, faithful God we serve. In spite of our mess, he is there faithful, and he's calling us to him. He says, Israel, you are my people. You belong to having given up on you. Come and be mine. Let me make you all that you need to be. Come and be mine. What a glorious picture. Beautiful picture. Father who loves us and speaks tenderly to us to call us into relationship with not the only picture in Hosea. Because alongside that we see that God is going to judge unfaithfulness as well. And he's warning people, if you don't turn from your sin and be for you. Father, we thank you for the glorious picture that you've given us. An invitation that we cannot, basis of how beautiful it is, how timely it is, how ultimate it is. There's no way for us to turn away from you and have a Lord that it just resonate in our hearts and that it will cause us to cling 
to you in your faithfulness to trust in Christ as the Redeemer that you've given for all of history. Love to respond to you in right ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.